The following podcast may contain adult language, bitter leftists, and welcoming queers. You've been warned. Or promised. Hey, it's the Shoot in the Sheet podcast, uh, where three mumbly nerds get together to talk about everything tabletop RPGs. Is it mumbly or rambly? It's both. Uh, I'm Jay, he, him. I'm Miles, him, uh, I'm Miles, he, him. Oh, hi, uh, Miles, him, 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 him you, her. You immediately yeah, tripped I, on that <laughs> small ledge. I'm, I'm Miles, yep, yep, him, I Bo. <laughs> oh, that would have been a good one. I did not. Um, hi, I'm the other Jay. I'm uh, she, they, and I've developed even more issues about my voice since the last time we recorded. Oh my so. god, I said one thing. Yeah, but, hun, I'm trans and I have anxiety, tra- anxiety, so then I spent, like, a day watching vocal training videos. I'm and trans then... and I have anxiety is a redundant statement. <laughs> I'm staring at him, which is great audio. <laughs> but, yeah, no, no. So now I'm like, oh, God, I don't know what I want to do with my voice. Do I want to do vocal training? Uh, do I actually care? Am I just really pissed because all growing up I was told, oh, your voice is too uh, feminine. And now I'm presenting as feminine and being a girl because that's what I am and shite. And now everyone's like, your voice is too masculine. And I'm like, I just can't fucking win. Nothing I do. Hey, this is a, a podcast yeah, about you, tabletop RPGs. Where you can uh, put on all sorts of voices to roleplay characters. And that's a good way to practice. Yeah, probably. or if you're me, you can I mean, put on like three voices. Or if you're also me, you start accidentally taking it's the fact that your character just starts saying, hell yeah, brother. And start unironically saying that in everyday speech now. And... You just hate yourself, but eh, I don't know. I could say worse things, probably. Yeah. There's a lot worse things to say, and we're going to get into some of those. Yeah, what's the topic today, uh, lads? So today's topic, we're we're going to slightly step away from our usual, but we're going to we're going to tie it in a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk about enjoying content from problematic uh, creators, and this is this is something this that is, is more of def- a general media consumption and how to exist in the modern culture. Yeah. But it also applies to tabletop. Yeah. And, you know, we'll we'll talk about some things like death of the author and whether that actually applies half the time, because uh, I think we have some differing opinions on that. Maybe. Spo- guess knows? what? Spoiler alert. Everything is nuanced and it's up to everybody's personal sense of boundaries and what they're comfortable with. The end. Yeah. Yep. But um, instead, we're going to talk about other tabletop stuff first, such as... The news! I only have, like, 1.5 stories uh, this week. Um, So, first thing, this came out... What is today's date? The 23rd. Yesterday! So, Critical Role launches a record label to produce a fantasy ambiance soundtrack. Do you guys say ambiance or ambience? I say ambience, unless I want to be fancy. I say okay, ambient your noise, depends, but I will often say I'll often say ambiance if I'm referring to just like a general vibe. Yeah, ambient is the adjective, but ambiance is the noun. Actually, I like a restaurant. Do that. Yeah, yeah, like a restaurant has ambiance. Uh, but it seems like uh, it's going to be a 17-song instrumental collection. It's going to be called "Welcome to Taldore" because, of course, it is. Um, I shouldn't sound as critical about this because I'm not trying to be critical of Critical Role in this one. Um, I've, I've got something critical to ask about it. Is it, like, uh, under any sort of Creative Commons license for people to use in their projects? Almost certainly uh, not. Like, maybe not necessarily... 
maybe not necessarily commercial projects, but it's at least like, uh, it's at least being marketed as like, use this in your game. Yeah, I'm trying to find that out, but I'm being really quick about it because I don't want to stay on this one too long because I don't have, honestly, a We don't need the answer. That's just one of the questions that uh, people should ask when a product like this is being promoted. I would hope that it's going to be under uh, Creative Commons, but I have the distinct impression that it is not. So get ready for those DMCA takedowns. I mean, it's available on Spotify and stuff, so do your own research. Oh god, it broke my computer for a second. It was just vibrate, and not like in a cool, sexy way. Um, okay. So, the other piece of news is... Uh, the clickety clack of my keyboard. Um, so Savage Worlds, um, they are putting out uh, the first big expansion for their Savage Pathfinder uh, side series, whatever you want to call it. Their game that combines a lot of the best of Savage Worlds with a lot of the setting. What, like an anthology or um, a it best is, of? They are putting out uh, the Advanced Player's Guide and also the... Um, uh, Curse of the Crimson Throne Adventure Path. Uh, I'll be honest, I don't care too much about most adventure paths. I know lots of people love them. That's great. I'm just all here for more class edges and especially more prestige edges. Uh, and mm -hmm. we also got a few more ancestries. So we're going to get some uh, Asimar, Catfolk, Dampir, and uh, Tieflings. As well as uh, some new alternate ancestral abilities for dwarves, elves, gnomes, and all that jazz. But, um... Yeah, because, uh, you know, those haven't been developed sorry. enough. No. But, um... Uh, we're also getting the Alchemist, Cal uh, Cavalier, Quisitor, Oracle, Summoner, and Witch classes, or class edges. So, basically, a class tree. Um... And I'm very excited to see how they're going to handle a lot of these. They already were t saying a lot of cool things about the witch, which makes me curious. If the witch is close to uh, the enemies, they are able to keep up, like, by tackling the enemies' distracted and vulnerable states. So I'm like, okay, how can I make a melee, melee range witch? Because making enemies distracted and vulnerable in Savage Worlds is so good. And just mm. having to not put that up every turn would be amazing. Wouldst thou like to live vulnerably? Basically, you're taking away from their ability to hit you and making it easier for you to hit them. They even said it's like, witches are going to pair really well with classes like row or bards that are really good at making enemies distracted and vulnerable. But yeah. uh, it's fun. It's... Uh, Something I actually like and I'm excited for without like just saying, yes, here's new 5e kickstart game. Uh, I, I'm sorry, anyone who's putting out your game on Kickstarter and it's a 5e game, that's really awesome. I just personally at this point, there's so many that I just kind of get a little tired of them Who can all. keep up? Um, but mm -hmm. uh, not trying to take away from anyone who's doing hard work in that uh, scene. Um. But uh, the only thing I, I'm a little sad by is it is already a fully, like, finished product. It's a booster, which means that the book is already fully made, pretty much. And it's basically just a pre-order and seeing how many they should print. And that's fine. But that means that, like, there aren't any stretch goals. And I do love the dopamine of a successful campaign hidden all those stretch goals. Because I am human. 
That but doesn't that also feel means like that... it's appropriate for Kickstarter. Uh, they even say why they do it on Kickstarter. It's the reach right now. I mean, um, I guess. It just, it seems like one of those things that, like, they could very easily put out a survey on their social media channels and get a very similar result. Yeah, but, I mean, hey, this way it probably would cost them more money putting it through Kickstarter, so... Because they'd have to pay the Kickstarter fees. So... I'm not a business person of any sort. Uh, but I do have a question. So, they are following the trajectory pretty closely of Pathfinder First Edition, because that's what they are actually, like, legally allowed to work off of. So, they're not going off of any Second Edition uh, classes, ancestries, and whatnot. And mm -hmm. I'm noticing a lot of Pathfinder First Edition. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of, like, religious-based classes already. And was that a thing that they were doing? I guess it was like the aughts when Pathfinder first edition came out. But am I like right in the assumption that they kind of had a big old love of you are a religious person taking down evil monsters? Can I play Greek Orthodox Catholic? Yes. That so, I'm excited for. I'm <sighs> Okay, well, all right. I'll say this. Um, I don't think Pathfinder really delved that hard into it for the majority of their classes anyway. Um, I mean, there are some classes that involve, theoretically, a deity or some kind of pledge that could be to a deity. Arguably, there's the oracles, too, where their revelation can have something to do with a religion. Um, but truthfully, I think there was a little bit more of a focus in the world of Pathfinder, in Galarian, I think it was, um, in the gods, like, existing... And if you know that the gods exist, mm -hmm. then why would you not have a god that you followed? Like, if you if you have demonstrable, yeah, actual proof that the gods exist and have interacted with the world, then you're more likely to, fo uh, to, to follow one. And I think that does make a certain degree of oh, sense. Yeah. Um, there was rarely anything mechanical about it, from my experience with Pathfinder 1. But I also didn't play oh, yeah. a whole lot of the adventure paths. When I played Pathfinder, I mostly played homebrewed games. Mm -hmm. It's just that right now, um, and again, since this is, I'm pretty sure, following the original trajectory of Pathfinder 1, it's like, they even mentioned that, yeah, they really want to put in the Magus and the, like, um, uh, Gunslinger, but they aren't able to do that just yet. Um, but right now we have, you know, of course you have your Cleric, your Paladin slash Champions, you have your Inquisitor, and they mentioned another Prestige class that's going to have Stigmata as, like, their big technique. I didn't catch what it was called, and I'm... I don't know, it just seems very... A lot of those right out of the gate. A lot more than I feel like uh, a lot of Dungeons & Dragons has. Yeah, Dungeons & Dragons doesn't have as many, but Dungeons & Dragons also doesn't have as many classes as Pathfinder did. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess... Definitely doesn't have any classes with Stigmata as a primary feature. You, you know what, I'm gonna just be honest. It's because I think I'm just always salty is that in video games, I love to play magic knights and stuff in final fantasy 14 i'm uh red mage and the usually closest i can get to that feeling in a lot of tabletop games are paladins which i hate because i just can't ever get around being a paladin well it's not that i necessarily hate paladins i just hate that that's my only option mm. uh or one of my main options i know someone's gonna be like what about eldritch knight it's like i know eldritch knight 
I, I mean, I didn't play Fighter till they added Rune Knight a few years ago. What? You Why could always like play Ranger. Monks inherently deity based. Hmm. You could always play a Ranger. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I think Jay was saying something a little more meaningful. What was that? Why aren't monks inherently <laughs> deity based? <laughs> Listen, if I wanted to be a uh, ranger, I'd play a druid. Okay, I I am a <laughs> firm yeah. ranger apologist. I I love rangers and I have done some incredible thing with range. I've done some incredible things with rangers even in 5e, despite, you know, everyone arguing that rangers are the worst class in 5e. Um I disagree. I think they're the least broken, but I don't think they're actually bad. Uh, but I just, I don't, I don't actually have a horse in this race. Um, I just, I very much just usually don't feel like being a ranger because I don't know if I'm going to be a nature person. I actually, I was not being completely jokey when I said I'd rather play a druid. Um, and if I want to play an archer, I probably will want to be a fighter for the versatility. Um, uh, and I just don't care about favored terrain and stuff, like, at all. It is mm -hmm. favored terrain and favored enemy. I I'm not a big fan of very specific circumstantial stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's definitely one of those that things that video only games. comes into play in certain games. And the DM's gotta, like, tell you what one of the prominent enemy types are going to be around throughout the campaign so that you can favor it appropriately. Yeah, or if they don't do that ahead of time... Once you have built your character and tell them what type of enemy, like, you chose as your favorite enemy type because of your backstory, they should do the work of putting more of those enemies into the game. Uh, but that's... That's my two cents as a person who really likes rangers and will intentionally create opportunities for my players to play rangers and get benefits from that. It just, it confuses me because rangers all turn into bards. I've played, like, five MMOs, and that's how it is. You start off as a ranger, and then you become a bard, and everyone likes you. You're like, oh, you play music and make us better, and you have a bow for some reason. It, that is such a Japanese, like, MMO favorite trope, is the ranger becoming a bard. Um, so here's, so here's the funny thing, uh... In, in Golden Sun, in the Golden Sun series, Ranger is a tri-element class, which then does become Bard at the next level up, like, next rank up, and then becomes Warlock. <laughs> so, huh. so you're not wrong. Uh. Rangers do become Bards. <laughs> but I've never heard of this final evolution of them becoming warlocks. This is a, a new piece to this puzzle I just found out. I'm very excited for this. I mean, Whenever you said rangers all become bards. Uh, musicians and artists are reliant on a patronage system. Whenever you Oh god, but um Whenever you said rangers become bards, I was like, wait, hold on. I think they actually might become bards in Golden Sun. Let me check that. Well, I wonder why. No, they become warlocks eventually. Well, they did. <laughs> That's the metamorphosis. Yeah, they become warlocks. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, okay. Go Moving figure. On. I find a way Moving to turn a conversation on. into something about Golden Sun. Um, I already forgot what we were talking about, uh, but that's it for the news. Uh, there's, uh, should we do a mind game today? There's one other piece of news, uh, and that's that oh, whenever you're hearing this, 
it is most likely Free RPG Day, uh, June 25th. There's also like an international one later, but uh, when this is coming out, or most likely when this is coming out on the 25th, there's, you know, free RPGs, free upgrades, free expansions, a lot of different things being released by different tabletop RPG companies. I know Pathfinder, or Paizo, is releasing a free adventure path for Pathfinder and a free one for Starfinder. I don't know what the other ones are. That's just the most recent one that uh, I saw. But there's a lot of cool shit. If you have a if you have a game store that's mm-hmm. nearby, go check that out. See what they're doing. A lot of them do like cool in-person events for it. I don't have a game shop anywhere near me, unfortunately. The closest one would be like a two-hour drive away one way. And uh, nah, I'm not going to drive four hours for like <laughs> a free module. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Oh, God. But you, uh, you also may notice We're recording this that in- I have hiccups today, which is distinctly unfun uh, the day after a back procedure. Woof. Oh, gosh. I'm sorry, Miles, but hey, at least the procedure is proceeding. Yeah, I in another like day or so, I should notice whether or not the chemicals they injected into my spine make it hurt less. Also, it was and really we weird and bougie because did. while they were sticking the needles into my nerves uh, without anesthesia, because otherwise they wouldn't know when they hit the nerves, uh, they were distracting me from the pain of having my nerves stabbed by using one of those like massage gun things on my and giving me a foot massage. <laughs> it was the weirdest, bougiest <laughs> bullshit. And if this... Uh, if this whole deal wasn't already being taken care of by my uh, by my insurance, like, if I had to pay out of pocket for this shit, I'd have told them no, but, like, it worked a little bit. I, I got distracted yeah, did, slightly. It, it, <laughs> I mean, what, what, what did you get? Acupuncture and a Hitachi magic wand? Um, no. The needles went all the way to my nerves on my spinal cord. Oh, the important stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the important stuff. Ugh. Sorry. Who well, knows? That's personal Maybe enough next... for the whole episode. Yeah. Um. No, I. Let's have a game. Yeah, let's have a game. Speaking of games, have... I'm laughing at my fiance because he's like, "You can't do art while we're here because the clicking shows up on the podcast." So I'm just sitting here playing with a back scratcher. But now I'm like, oh, because his controller's not working, and Jay has a need for destiny. I'm just hearing his clickety-clicking. This is tiny clickety-clicking. You have a mechanical keyboard. Um, how dare- You have a steampunk-ass, like, round-button <laughs> typewriter-looking... I'm about to send my missives to the war front on this keyboard. Oh, you too? Okay. Kadak-kadak-kadak-kadak. I have. Um, my lover died, though. It's a little sad. They died of dysentery and diarrhea. You are getting, like, an occasional, like, little USB mouse click from me. But my <laughs> keyboard is a ghost right now. Um, okay. Okay, so, so, mind game. I had sent out a worst Jerry prompt, but then we forgot to think about it. Uh, so, do we want to do another nope. Unbound one? Yes. Unbounds are great because we can just do those. While Jay brings it up, I will tell everybody that uh, in the Unbound game system, you... St- 
st you can start off with some world building things by taking four randomly generated keywords from a uh, drawing a, from a deck of cards to find some general themes and uh, concepts to sort of string together and find a way as a group brainstorm how these things would interact in a sort of fantasy world and it is great for coming up with creative things we had a world on fire zeppelin prison break uh at some point jay and i and our nephew mm -hmm. had a beast sh a shadow beast plague and all kinds of stuff was happening mm -hmm. and big I concepts have... let's use one of the uh do we want to try one of the alternative concepts tables one of the more specialized week? ones yes yes i uh, was thinking sure, that sure but i'm yeah. just gonna stop at Okay, I'm on horror noir. I was not. I don't want to think about this too much. So we're doing a horror noir one. Okay, I've got our cards. So, all right. Got the seven of spades. Seven of spades. Uh, chitin crack of closing handcuff. Chitin crack. Chitin. Yeah, you're right. It's yeah. chitin. I've always called it chitin. Yeah, me too. Um. Okay, next. Six of hearts. Six of hearts is burned coffee, bitter as bee sting. Oh, God. I'm going to be bad at this because I'm not good at noir. Oh, all right. Uh, well, to, we've, well, we've already got chitin, so we can make it Lovecraftian if that helps. Uh, we'll see how we go. Uh, the eight of diamonds. Eight of diamonds is... Swarm blood simulacrum. Simulacrum. Okay. Sorry, you corrected me. I want to correct you. All right, and the three of hearts. And three of hearts. Make like a cocoon and split. Oh, that goes interestingly with the chitin okay. crack. Oh, with so, the chitin click of yeah. handcuffs. Maybe when and people are arrested in this world, they get thrown into a uh, a cocoon to emerge a like changed- An upstanding citizen? Yeah, a changed but upstanding citizen. Maybe bearing some sort of uh, some sort of insectoid feature as a reminder to those around them, like, oh, this is a person who's been through the system. That does work with uh, simulacrum. Or um, they they don't become upstanding, but like what prison is, is a cocooning, like uh, binding. Mm. A, a prison is just like, any prison, if you're a criminal, is just like a, you know, a bee comb, like a honeycomb of prisoners tightly bound in cocoons to serve their sentences in the stasis of the cocoon but like you know the more people are in there and the more times they're in there like they come out different like they become more insect like mm. and uh, th then you can have some themes about like the unrehabilitate the anti-rehabilitative nature of like penal imprisonment and the carceral state that like you know creates like create cycles of like getting sent back into prison yeah maybe the because uh, of how the experience of being in prison deforms you maybe the like sort of preparatory injections or whatever that uh they go through before being cocooned is called the bee sting oh yeah that's it this is a this is a beehive prison chitin crack of the closing handcuff that's what it feels like when you when you get arrested, they call that the chitin crack. That's when you, when you're committed to that system, and you know, once you go in, even when you get out, you'll be back there soon enough. There's also the, uh, the alternative version of that where you know, the handcuffs are made for for human wrists, and if if you're part of this cycle of 
continuous incarceration, eventually you're going to get chitin on your wrists instead, and those those human cuffs aren't going to fit right. They're going to have to break your chitin a little bit to get you in them. Yeah. Growing chitin along your body, this exoskeleton, it hardens you being on the inside. So what would players do in a world like this? Get coffee. Oh yeah, coffee. Oh, burned coffee. <laughs> Bitter as beast thing. Yeah, it's just, that's the game. Is you guys are hardened criminals and you're thirsty. You're in you're in prison, and much like uh, the Hudson Hawk, as played by Bruce Willis, you cannot get a cappuccino <laughs> in prison, and that's driving you insane. Uh, I mean, you could say that they actually, because of the process, and something is like they actually have like a very intense caffeine addiction. And they maintain, like, the amount of caffeine you're given. I don't know. I got nothing on this one, guys. No, this that's... one is just, like, <laughs> uh... These... Yeah, Sean Smith's horror noir keepsakes for a table from which to draw from are, like, pretty niche and specific. Uh, interesting things to see because they, like, evoke aesthetics, that's for sure. But it's, like, it's not quite clear about how you build something out of this. This, I mean, this makes for an interesting be... world state. I don't know what the campaign centered around it would be, but this is an interesting world state at the very least. Yeah, like, I, I think uh, this one's just hard for me because I don't care much about noir stories most of the time, and I don't like insects that much. So uh, I'm, like, at a lost loss for this one. She had but, four uh, legs from here to Delaware, and her breath smelled <laughs> she like She had more cigarettes. legs than you could count, and a chitin like the sky on a cloudy day. Oh god, please, I don't want to think about how people's actual attraction would start changing based on that. You could see the sorrow in her eyes, all twelve of them. Only twelve? The creaking of how her mandibles was music to my ears. Ooh. You guys are gross. Boys are gross. This voice of ours, this was, a. Uh, Miles and I would just do bits about Nick Valentine from Fallout 4, like, being a guy that glitches out and just speaks a bunch of different noir tropes in, like, a jumbled order. You guys are making bits about Fallout 4? Yes. Oh. I might have to rethink some things about who I podcast with. Look, we had to find our own fun in that game sometimes. Yeah. See, I was waiting. You, you had to make up a more interesting character than Nick Valentine actually was by just imagining he was like a wacky dude that said nonsense. No, that's fair. I was fully expecting and hoping you to turn that back on me about something about why do you. It's like you guys aren't the ones who have over like a hundred hours in Xenoblade Chronicles 2, a game I am on record as fucking hating. Well, I mean, you've got to play it that long just to know for certain that you hate it, right? Like may maybe you're just maybe you're just in a bad spot. I mean, a hundred hours into a Xenoblade game, you're barely in there. Yeah, you've just scratched the surface. Now's uh, when you get to the real game. You and, just gotta give it time. And let's be real, like sixty of those hundred hours, you're not playing the game. You're just looking at the pretty sword uh, girls. You're fucking beaten <laughs> off. Oh god, I, I'm so happy that there are less sword girls in the new one. I still um, have not watched the direct just because I can't be fucking bothered to care about Xenoblade at this point. I mean, that's fair. I've just been caring about this, like, series for over two-thirds of my life. So, 20 years now. So, like, I am committed now at this point. 
And this game is just a fucking remake of Xenogears, and they are not being subtle about this. Anyway, a prison yes. that gradually turns you into a bug. Um, Miles, you do anything for GM's Corner? Um, no, because I've been busy with the house and spine shit. Uh, so no, I've got nothing for GM's Corner, really. I have been working my way through some Starfinder books, because I've been trying to learn a little bit more Starfinder. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting, and I want to get more physical Starfinder books, because holy shit, that internal art is so good. Oh yeah, you showed the uh, maps. Yeah, there's there's maps on the inside. I got a physical copy of the Armory. It's the only physical Starfinder book I have, but I really like it. It's got some cool ideas for uh, different options for the classes. Plus, it's got basically every item you could look up in the game in it, which, yes, please, more of that for large systems that have had many expansions. I would welcome that so fucking much. Um, <laughs> but, like, it's got them all separated, like... The, the weapons are separated not just by, like, small arms and melee weapons and whatever, but they're also separated into the elemental damage that they deal, too. So you can, you can look them up by elemental damage or by weapon type or whatever, and it's just, it's so good and so useful of a database. Like, I, I, I just, I really have to applaud Paizo for, for producing a product that technically doesn't need to exist, but is a good quick reference. Or... Not even quick reference, but is a good reference uh, material. That is important. If you're going to have a system that has any amount of information you even need to look up that much, having it be easy to find is a must. Mm. I don't have like any other thoughts on Starfinder right now. Honestly, for... me either, except just that I, I like the bugs. I like the bug people. See, I, my, I, I regret not saying is like I gotta say, but I hear there's a lot of bug people, and that's like meh to me. I, again, I'm just not a big fan of bugs and fish. I, I don't get grossed out by bugs, but I like when bug people, and I especially like week. bug people that get like solar energy, like sun soul weapon bullshit. Like hell yeah, let's let's do that. I mean. I like solar energy. Like I, I don't have. Like, to, I'm sorry. Oh, I. Yeah, the office meme. I love solar energy. I'd love to have it someday. <laughs> uh, and what were you saying, uh, Jimbo? Uh, when it comes to GM Corner, uh, this week I did a lot of hemming, and uh, in the upcoming month I hope to do some hawing. <laughs> I I need to motivate myself. Oh, you know what? Last thing I'll say is hopefully by next week we'll actually tried no thank you evil with. Uh, my niece and nephews. Uh, it seems really fun. It is really just a great, easy version of the Cypher system. Ironically, it has one more stat than the Cypher system has. Cypher system has three and this has four. But that's because the fourth one is your awesome rating. And that's just how much you can help other people. Oh um, my god. I have so many awesome points banked from being on the internet in the early 2000s. <laughs> or the like mid-2000s and early 2010s. <laughs> oh, but Miles, you don't have like any smart, strength, or sneaky... Or tough, you just have all awesome points. You get strength from being on Facebook, you get sneaky from being on 4chan, and uh, you get awesome points from your Reddit karma. I didn't hear any smarts, though. You don't get smarts from <laughs> okay. anywhere. Okay. That's You get smarts for all the time you're not on the internet. Yeah, you don't get smarts uh, from being it... terminally online. Oh, but you know what? We did get some of those uh, plastic... Um, 
like the uh, the really thin figures. Please describe them for me, Han. I don't I'm know. Struggling. They're just like little plastic like cutout like that you pop out of a sheet. Uh, miniatures for D and D. It's like it's it's a good like if, when it comes to like you know byproduct. Uh, if you want to get started like with having miniatures, it's a pretty good like cheap place to start. You know you know what they are. They're freaking like little 2D like plastic printed out things that like you slot into like a little round plastic base. They and, just look like board game pieces. And but... it's been really good because like we got a bunch of they were a bunch of characters in like the $15 set we got. All of the kids already chose out who they want to play and it like I don't have a lot of figures I realized. Um but a lot of I don't think I have any figures um now that I think about it. Uh so I needed to get just anything just so these kids had a physical thing to look at like we don't need a battle map for this game but oh boy do they need physical pieces otherwise like this doesn't look like a board game it's yeah, not it's hard it's to get a kids to sit down and focus game. on like hey oh god miles no you're the but even then if it's not literally a tabletop it's hard to get them to like focus on th this is a game you play in your mind with your imagination can you picture things in your mind these kids don't read so like th they don't have that skill well developed mm-hmm I don't think that reading has anything to do with it. They just don't have as strong of imagination as I think the three of us had. Yeah, but that's the mind's eye. True. Like, and when you read, you develop the mind's eye. Because you, like, when you're a kid and you're like, I don't know, what movie stars would this person be? These kids today need, need glasses for their mind's eyes. <laughs> Listen, I'm just saying, by the time I was their the age, I already had books. a full... I couldn't... I could not write... But I definitely had a fully developed superhero with multiple love interests, and the superhero I was is definitely a boy who could become all sorts of girls, and we are not delving into that, except for, yeah, I know, I see it now. Yeah, I don't think it needs to be delved into, there's not much to, there's not much to get into <laughs> beyond the surface there, it's pretty, it's not exactly subtext. It's a yeah, real, uh, it's a uh, real open and shut case. Yeah, the, this, uh, unknowing trans kid developed a superhero that could turn into whatever they wanted to. And yeah, sometimes that was like a canon because I was six, but a lot of times it was Sailor Moon and Sailor Jupiter. Or Cyber Six. No, I didn't know no Cyber reason. Six, sadly. But okay. Um, should we read an RPG power restore? Oh, hell not. What? <laughs> hell, I, oh, I hell didn't not? mean to say, oh, hell not. I meant to say, oh, hell, why not? We're here. Okay, no, I, I like... But I accidentally said, oh, hell no. Nah. Jay has spoken. We are not reading any RPG horror oh, stories. No oh, RPG horror stories this Right now? I mean, what, what RPG horror story could we even find that has to do with a problematic creator of some sort of media? I don't know, I haven't checked it. I just got Jay to find one, so... Unless you had one, Miles. Well, this is, I guess this is a problematic creator. It's a bad GM story. It's its hard to find, like, specifically what you're looking for. Because most posts on RPG mm -hmm. horror stories are titled, like, My Awful Incel Friend. Ugh. Something like that. Anyway, no. This one is posted by user useless teammates on our slash RPG horror stories. A toxic problem player with a power fantasy is allowed to co-develop the campaign with a DM that can't say no. My only regret is not leaving sooner. This was one of those cases where the problematic behavior wasn't obvious until a dozen sessions into the campaign when the true extent of his immaturity revealed itself. The 30-year-old man-child was perfectly fine out of the game, but the way he conducted himself in-game and his contributions behind the DM screen 
reeked of an incredible lack of self-awareness on his part with the number of taboos he'd blown past. He used his power as a co-writer of the campaign to turn his PC into an anime power fantasy. <laughs> While the rest of the party were a bunch of standard people just starting out on their journey, his character had the backstory of a level 20 adventurer despite all of us being level 3. It wasn't obvious at first, but later on we learned that his PC was apparently the most important person to have ever existed. Within his backstory, he had already lived for 10,000 years, influenced every major historical event in the setting's history, personally met every world leader, humbled the gods themselves, and progressed civilization forward with his technological breakthroughs. I wish I was exaggerating. His first response to the introduction of an NPC or mystery was, I already knew about this, or, yep, I encountered something similar a while back, or, huh, reminds me of that one time. There was literally nothing new under the sun for that character, even when it was an improv line from another party member. His character killed the suspense in every scene he was in because he never took any threat seriously and knew the DM would bend over backwards to enable him. It got real grating real quick. It was almost impossible for party members to roleplay with him because he gave us nothing to work with. The character had no personality. It was just a self-insert of the player, and he only ever talked in the form of a humble brag about how cool he was. Every one of his interactions with important NPCs devolved into him referencing some shared history that only he and the DM were privy to. The rest of us... This left the rest of us bored and agitated. You couldn't even ignore him if you tried because he would always butt into other people's backstories. When my character had to face her own sister on the opposing side of a war for this dramatic showdown, he immediately ruined the moment by belittling the interpersonal drama and taking control of the scene to have it end how he wanted it to. The party was made irrelevant in combat because he created a bunch of overpowered magic items, which he then gave to himself. His character regularly matched the entire party's damage output and could force opponents to make infinite saving throws against paralysis. When we used an online dice roller, he rolled physical dice that happened to never fail while consistently critting several times an encounter. After that, he still had the gall to get mad when a boss kept passing their saves. He was the epitome of bad game etiquette in terms of RP and overpowered homebrew, but the DM was blind to all of it because they're friends. I was naive when I read all those horror stories here and thought it couldn't possibly happen to me. The End, posted by user useless teammates. I never RP. thought it would happen to me. Story I freedom. I never thought it would happen to me. I don't know why I said freedom. I meant to say forum. <laughs> I'm my brain. Freedom. No, that's, that was the one that was on PS. That was the one that was on PSP. <laughs> okay. Well, that was a good story. That dude just sucked. That just yeah, yeah. No, how you know, is that? Power how is that in any way like fun that, to play a character like that? That's sort of my question. When it comes to these guys, it's like okay, so you experience no tension and no challenge in the game because they want a power fantasy. They just want a power fantasy, but it's not enough to just have a power fantasy because. One of our recurring things is like, please write a book. If you want to tell this story or like have this fantasy, write a book about it. Don't bring other people into it. But it must be that having other people there to witness it is some way to just live out. Like, oh uh, yeah, this is how cool I am actually. And I need other people here to see me be as cool as this. Here's the to be impressed. Are you not impressed? Is here's the, the subtext. Th here's the thing. I feel like if I wanted to make this character, one, I'd... I wouldn't. But if I wanted to make a character like this, they have to have some sort of reason for still adventuring. Like, if nothing surprises them and nothing's new to them anymore and they, like, they're not getting any new experiences out of it, 
why are they still adventuring? Why are they still doing that? Yeah, you've been alive for 10,000 years. You've literally encountered every conceivable, uh, like, challenge or trial or gauntlet and, like, you know everybody in the world and all of the factions and you've had a hand in everything, like, what are you hanging around for? Even if, and that could be an interesting character even if it was just, like, a, someone who's lived too long and has seen too much and, like, they can be around and can be extremely powerful, but, like, then you have maybe, a, like, a one-punch man thing where, like, mm -hmm. because nothing's challenging, nothing has any meaning to you. Yeah, uh, see, I found one-punch man to be just too. as boring as this guy. Well... I, I was thinking well, of one-punch man Well, the point of one-punch man, one man is that he's boring and understated. This guy's this guy's overstated, and he, despite being, like, the guy who's seen everything, he's still involving himself in everything. Like, if you were this kind of character, the only interesting place to go is if you step back, right? Mm-hmm. Again, you guys are talking like this person wants to write an interesting story, yeah, they, they just, just they just want want a power fantasy. Yeah, they want praise, they want attention, they want everyone else to be like, "Oh my god, your character is so cool and knows so much." Like they want to win D&D. It's we didn't get into it too much uh in the last horror story that we read, the one about the capitalists, but it's the same philosophy. They want to win D&D. They see D&D as a thing that you can win by getting the most power, getting the most money, or doing whatever, that it's that it's something that can somehow be won as an adversarial game of numbers, rather than a collaborative storytelling effort with numbers and randomness as a tool. And I think people who approach D&D as something that can be won are just fundamentally less interesting to be at the table with. Uh, and if you're listening to this and you're like, hey, I'm one of those people, like, I'm going to stick by what I said. I'm, I, I, I would not want to share a table with you if that's what you, if that's how you see the game, because it's, it's not as interesting. And it also makes you generally not a great person to be at the table with, because you're not trying to push forward the the narrative alongside other people you're trying to push forward the narrative with yourself at the center yeah the dungeons and dragons and, uh, is one of the best or, or tabletop rpgs is one of the best places to learn that it is about the journey not the destination to the extent i would almost say like i wouldn't ever stop somebody from playing like this because it's like that is your prerogative and see how many friends that makes you at the end of this yeah is the thing like you, you got to learn that like that's not going to you can have this sort of experience of this fantasy that you want to but like it's the social consequences of it will undermine like you know hopefully discourage people from actually doing this mm -hmm. anyway um, well, but now that we've you, now that if, we've dragged potential members of our listener base and told them that they're playing the game wrong, uh, <laughs> let's get into problematic creators. <laughs> okay. Jeez. So I so I have a little bit of, to start on, but I want you guys to think about specifically in the tabletop sphere, like wh who do you guys know problematic creators, and can you bring them up, and can we hash through this after I get through a like broad perspective thing? Because I've been trying to figure I mean, out what it is to 
consume media that like is itself not problematic but like the creator is problematic this is something that is common on internet discourse that i try to figure out um and i mean you could make the argument I have that fun wizards of the coast in and of itself is a toxic creator yeah yeah literally go back and look what gary gygax has said he sucks um not even just with gygax like very recent yeah. history yes. um i've in the last couple of weeks at work, I've been listening to the audiobooks of one of the most perfect dead authors, which is, of course, H.P. Lovecraft, a guy who is horribly racist and all sort of other things, um, but whose work was such an inspiration for a bunch of other creators to do things in a different lane, but with the themes and styles and fictional universe that he propagated, and that it's totally, like, moved away from him and from his, like, original social and political views that informed the way he wrote his stories. And at the same time, he is not only dead, but he is so long dead that his work has entered the public domain, so is extremely up for grabs for full reshaping. He is the most dead author that a dead author could be, and there's a big case for him, uh, you know, being essentially reappropriated by people that he would be terrified of if, were he still alive. Yeah. Um, and specifically, I've been listening to some of his works uh, in audiobook form with, like, the concept of the hard read, where, like, this isn't an analysis of the author's intent or the time period and, like, what that means and what he probably meant with uh, allegory, but, like, putting it in a frame of, like, seeing if it can exemplify or, like, create allegory of something that you would rather it say. Like, when... When I was first, the first one I listened to was uh, Shadow Over Innsmouth, which, of course, you can probably read accurately as, like, a parable about, like, the dangers of interbreeding um, from, like, a xenophobic perspective. But at the same time, I thought that this could, as I was reading it, especially at the end of it, when, like, the narrator, spoiler alert, uh, finds out he is a, a genetic descendant of fish people and he will one day, you know, return to the sea and live in fish people society. And at the end of the story, he seems, like, down with it. He seems excited for it. Like, he wants to go live in the sea and be a fish person. And I thought, okay, so that could be a narrative about, like, having your sensibilities offended by a culture that is totally alien to you. But, like, you're also coming to terms with, like, you know, learning about your own cultural ancestry and finding the beauty in it in its own terms. So that's, like, a hard read, for instance. I'm sure that is not what H.P. Lovecraft had meant buy it but like i can and i have the prerogative as the media consumer like choose to interpret it like that mm -hmm. so you can definitely make of these things whatever you want uh is what i mean by all of this um and so that so i've had uh, over the last week like a really good case for reappropriating the creative works of someone who, like, you know their political leanings and they are a shit shithat. But taking what is there that you can totally remold into, you know, something that better suits and illuminates, like, uh, concepts and ideas that you would actually want to explore outside of the miserable evil context it might have originally been intended as. I think that's something that's much easier to do with, one authors pre-digital age and two authors that are genuinely actually dead if yes. if a creator can um, no longer it's... comment on a theoretical like modern 
retaking of their work, it is easier to do that. Especially when they're not, like, someone who's terminally online and constantly saying horrifically shitty things yes. all the time. The, the flip side of the problematic creator thing is, like, the people uh, clutching their pearls about cancel culture, which... Of course, you know, I know the, the secret antidote to cancel culture is to not post your every single thought all day, every day. Yeah. That's the one way to totally inoculate yourself from it. But... Um, um, I think I think a key component... Um, it, it doesn't necessarily have to do with this, but it is something that bears saying. We, as a digital culture, and especially like post-social media, have a tendency to towards the extreme especially in uh our enjoyment of something either something is absolutely horrific and we hate it and we hate everyone that likes it or we we love it and it was incredible and groundbreaking and revolutionary and anyone that criticizes and it, it is beyond shitty. reproach yeah and yeah. that's just untrue i there's a lot of media I like out there. I don't think there's a single piece of media I could say is perfect and beyond any criticism. I think if you can't criticize something, yeah. you don't actually love it. Yeah. You know, here's one I like. Uh, the band The Wombats. Um, I, I love their sound, but when you listen to the lyrics, they are like the most whiny fuckboys in the world. <laughs> the, the, the actual content of their songs is like really lame and bad, but like... The music is still evocative to me. Um, speaking of music, I also wanted to bring up in a recent episode of a podcast I follow uh, called Beat Beat Lettuce, uh, episode 181, where they uh, interview Eden uh, Coopermans, who is a death metal podcaster, and they talk a lot about uh, death metal specifically as a musical form because it has so many exaggerated personalities in its creators. Uh, both for good and bad, like really stark political ideologies playing out in metal, um, and a lot of interplay between someone's real-life persona and a fictitious persona. They bring up uh, Goblinomicon, which is a goblin-themed band that, like, they do goblin stuff, and there are, they're clearly, you know, characters doing character bits, um, and they have a fine line between, like, you know, what is the fiction of the character we're playing and what kind of people we actually are. And then you find some people in the metal scene that, like, you think what they're doing might be a bit about, like, their political beliefs or, like, what they... Or if they think, you know, humanity comes from aliens thousands of years ago. And then you find out, oh, they're serious about this. That's how they are. And they're neo-Nazis, too. Uh-oh. Um, and they talked about uh, ironic disavowal, which is, like, the concept of delving into the mind of these sorts of ideas to feel them out and like you know for a moment like see the world through this lens that these creators have without necessarily like adhering yourself to it or taking it with you and i think with our online culture this there's a lot of anxiety about doing this about like for a moment engaging with people's ideas and frameworks about you know, their whole views of everything, because I I can speak for myself here, like, there's an underlying unconscious anxiety that you will take some of it with you, and you will slightly become one of these people that are fucked up and weird. Mm -hmm. um, like, you will just become contaminated by the radiation of it, and I was thinking about that a lot this week, as 
uh, from an American perspective. I do worry, though, like, not worry, but, you know, as someone who's in kind of the top percentile of people most likely to just be randomly hate-crimed, uh, you know, oh, yeah. not a lot, not every perspective is worthy of even... Toying with. Oh, toying with. absolutely. And, uh, and, and, uh, and I'm not sure how much, like, toying with any worldview set, like, gives it oxygen, let alone giving it any credence. Um, giving things oxygen or feeding it at all is a worry that we all have because, you know, you wouldn't want to contribute anything, e not even, you know, financially, like if you buy a product, but even rhetorically, if you just think about it or talk about it for a second, it might, like, become, it might, you know, further spread the contamination. And, and I think you're even going about this a little too high-minded. Yeah. I don't want to think about someone who wants me dead because I don't want to think about being dead. I don't, a lot of the stuff that people are quote-unquote canceled for, people don't want to think about, not because they're afraid of taking it with them. It's because these are just deeply unsettling things to think about. I, like, I don't like the fact that going to the bathroom in public is dangerous for Yeah, me. because these ideas in real life have, like, material effects on people's safety. There was a there were articles about like Rowan Atkinson in the last week said something about like, oh, in a you know, he's a old British comedian. So, of course, he's going to say some shit like, oh, in a free society, you should be able to make jokes about anything you want without these social consequences. And it's like, well, yeah, dude, but we don't live in a free society. We live in a society. This is what I was thinking. Like, yeah, dude, no, but we live in a society characterized by disparity and inequity to the extent that rhetoric can lead to real social danger for vulnerable people. Yeah, it's which is why this speech and these ideas end up getting controlled because they have material effects on others. It's not just saying things and then it, it vanishes into vapor. Yeah, which is yeah, also why not all speech is actually protected. Like there, there's the classic example, yes, of like shouting fire in a public place causes a panic. That's not protected under free speech. You can still be prosecuted for that. One freedom of speech protects what, you, you from the government it doesn't protect you from my fucking fists Two, uh hate speech is not protected speech because it is considered speech that spurs on action and that action is yeah, the harm because... or degradation of another group of people it is not considered protected you speech. would love to... um you would love to be able to say whatever you want insofar as like saying it has no effects, but guess what? In this world, you can speak violence into reality. Yeah, especially if you are a part of a powerful, uh, of a powerful group in our hierarchical structure. And in the case of Rowan Atkinson, multiple powerful groups combined together. He is older, <laughs> he is rich, he is white, he is British, and, she, and he is famous. One of the most dangerous combinations of a person. Yeah. Um, and, and the idea that, you know, oh, yeah, uh, I mean, we'll split off from this, I'm sure. But the idea that a comedian's goal, a, a comedian's job is to push boundaries and, you know, you know, challenge people's ideas is so tied to the idea of, like, jester privilege without the even minor amount of thought of, yeah, but the jester's privilege was to make fun of people in power. If you're... If you mm -hmm. are making, if you're, if you're 
you know, making satire, but the target of your satire are the people who are being discriminated against, you are not producing satire, you are producing, uh, oh, you're, you're, hierarchical you're, oppression. Yeah, you're producing oppression. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that a key component of satire needs to be that it is recognizable from the oppression that it is satirizing. Um, Jester culture was like, you know, there's like an anthropological history and like, you know, when the muscular dude in your, you know, local community like brings home the big boar or whatever and like he's, you know, feeling his feeling himself and he thinks he's hot shit and he can push people around, you know, comedy and mockery specifically was designed to not designed, but it like came into a social function to redistribute social harm towards the powerful. What? Sorry. Wait, what? Uh, you lost the me there for a minute. The jester would make fun of the king at the expense of the king, in part to make the peasantry feel better. Sorry, no, I, you were just sense? talking about hunter-gatherers, and that's why I got confused. I was like, wait, did I miss a big jump from jesters to, like, it, it a goes thousand it years goes, ago? It goes back to old hunter-gatherer shit, okay. where, like, the mockery was a way to, like, regulate social power. I, I guess I'm not that anthropologically minded that I didn't... I read a David Graeber book, and now I'm very anthropologically minded. Uh, we're, but, we're getting uh, into some, we're getting into some digressions, but, you. but, um... Yeah, yes, okay, please. essentially, yeah, punch as, uh, punch up, don't punch down, but, yeah. um... Or, or, so, uh, I, I, he comes up every time people talk about comedians needing to offend people, but I'm gonna... You could also just not punch at all and be Mitch Hedberg. 90% of the time, his Mitch jokes Hedberg do not have a target. And even when, if you can define it as a target, his targets are, like, the absurdities of everyday life yeah. and language. So, yes, that's uh, pretty targetless. Um, so, so, another way I was thinking about, like, why we on the internet, especially, we're socially justice-minded people. Uh, warriors, one might say. <laughs> but, um, we're worried about giving oxygen to creators of media and content and stuff that's problematic um in part because like we're worried that like it will spread these ideas and become infectious to us or to anybody around and then they gain traction and then they cause you know harm in the real world but another lens i was seeing this through was that this was sort of uh, the anxiety about not even like promoting or advocating for you know content that like has problematic connotations literally if the content's cool but like the creator is a problem um, we're averse to that, I think, as a way, as a backwash of the way that consumption is politics, and I have a roundabout way to talk about this. So, we don't have a lot of political power as individuals in our day-to-day -day life, and I mean political not necessarily in the American electoral sense, but in the anthropological concept of, like, political is people thinking about how they want society to be shaped, and how they want these systems to happen and benefit people or harm people in certain directions. That's the abstract form of being political, but in America, you only do, you only really access this stuff by like voting every two to four years. And then it's mostly about media consumption is how you express these things uh, to yourself and to others. So my backwash concept, and this is not, you know, fresh stuff that I'm saying for the first time or whatever, but is essentially that like, if politics can only be done by consumption, then even consumption that is totally irrelevant has to have a political angle to it. You have to think that you are voting with your consumer dollar. If you want to watch the, if you just want to watch the frickin' Harry Potters, 
you have this, even if you pirate them, hypothetically, you don't even want to give any money to the estate Which or whatever. Which we should whatever. probably get back to that, because I don't think we've actually talked about, like, how we said we were going to address the topic at all yet. I'm sorry, I just had a bunch of, <laughs> I had a bunch of theory that we I wanted went, to talk about. Yeah, we about. went immediately yeah. into the theory and didn't talk at all, like, hey, how do we do the thing we said we were going to talk about? Yeah. Um, well, the qu so it all boils down to, like, how comfortable are you with how problematic a creator and, you know, your money goes to these things to a certain extents, but, like, does your mind share go to them? And is that in itself a problem, if your mind share goes to a problematic creator? It's, it's you know, part of why Jay I said it's... used to have an old podcast called Thought Hole, it's, and I can tell sometimes that he desperately misses it. It's, it's part of why I... Uh... It's part of why I said it's easier to do death of the author with an with an author who is actually already dead, because then you don't have as much of the worry of continuing to provide that creator a platform. Because yes, contributing to the consumption and contributing to the conversation then means you are means you are keeping that problematic creator and by extension the problematic things that they have done, said, or injected into the media they've produced, you are continuing to keep that in the public consciousness. And yes, to a certain degree, you can do some reframing of it on a personal basis, but not everybody who runs into that is going to be thinking about it in that way. Not everybody is going to be absorbing it with that new reframing. They're just going to be seeing that and being reminded of the horrifically shitty things that problematic creator has done. And mm -hmm. to a certain mm -hmm. degree, like, sometimes you can separate problematic uh, creators from their work. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes a work is so deeply tainted by a creator's shittiness that it is, to a degree, unsalvageable. Like, yes, uh, Eldritch mythos and Lovecraftian... Uh, Lovecraftian fi uh, fiction has grown beyond H.P. Lovecraft's beginnings. It broke free. That dude was such a piece of shit that, like, that's one of the ones you could think, like, I don't know if this is ever going to break free from his gravity. Yeah. But it, it did. It did. I thought it broke free decades I mean, ago. Yeah. It did. Decades ago. Like, uh... <laughs> it, it absolutely did. But, I mean, Jay, you, you read... You, you read some Lovecraft and reframed it on your own terms. And that's something you are personally capable of doing, and that's great for you. Uh, truthfully, in a lot of cases, I don't think... I don't think I'd be able to take that hard read and completely separate mm -hmm. what I know to be the author's intent. Like, I... Especially when, something that deeply entrenched. Yeah, like... Well, I was I, never I oblivious read... to what I imagined was the intent. Yeah, no, I know you're not oblivious. You were just making a conscious effort to reframe it. And that can be easy to do, or it can be hard to do. And I think it's easier to do with, a, with an actually, like, dead or out-of-the-public-eye creator. Um, my sister-in-law visits... There's not a... There's not a good term for partner's sister if you're or like partner's sibling or partner's family member if you're not uh, related. So, no, I am I am not married, uh, but for ease of use, I will say sister-in-law. My sister-in-law visited uh, over her winter break from college a while back, and 
wanted to rewatch, uh, wanted to rewatch every single Harry Potter movie. And as a kid, I, I was really into Harry Potter. I was blind to a lot of the problematic shit in it. Watching it again now as an adult, one, knowing the things that J.K. Rowling is all about, but also having a greater degree of media literacy, they're awful. <laughs> there's, there's too much that I yeah. just can't separate from it. Which is made all the and more the frustrating is, like, when you are the source of light. Ever. You're like the only one who is tasked with paying attention while watching, and you know the most about it because you've you read the books a bunch, you watched the movies a bunch, you know so much about it, so you're the source of information for these people who are consuming the media, so you have to be conscious constantly, consciously engaged with it. And it's it was draining. It was so fucking exhausting. Um because I had to keep myself in the mindset of like, okay, mm. all right, is there any possible way for me to do this in a good faith description? Uh, because I don't want to ruin their enjoyment of this thing that they can separate from the author. Uh, but like, it's... I mean, at that point, I guess that was free for you if you had to, to just not engage with it. Well, I tried to not I engage mean... with it, but also like... A a family member of my partner's is visiting. I don't want to be unfriendly. I want to, you know, engage with them and spend time with them while they are visiting. Uh, and that's unfortunately hmm. all they want to do while they're visiting. And this is and a person who doesn't, who doesn't do, do well with boundaries in general. Um, <laughs> like, yeah. didn't want to mask up if you can handle it, in if it's a... April of 2020. Didn't want to go around with a mask. Um... And got mad when we asked her to not have people over at the time. Uh, yeah. So you and, can tell what sort of cultural milieu this person traffics in. Um, they've since grown a bit, but you know, they were like 19. So like, like I said at the beginning of the episode, no one's great when they're 19. Uh, <laughs> you found an example. Just waited. Um, but, um, I mean, I wasn't great when I was 19. I know, I, I have no illusions. I would not, so I don't I, like, I don't like 19-year-old so me. Oh, if you can look back at 19-year-old you and think that you were, like, totally cool, you gotta get some more perspective. Maybe you're still 19. So, no, I think I still was listening to some anime lesbian AMVs. Um, but anyways, uh... I, I know that we are talking mostly about so uh, being problematic in a social sense, you know, and I, I might have been the one who led it that way with my whole trans, uh, I'm scared because people hate me thing. Um, but there's also just business practice, like shitty business practices, as I am known for, I don't know. I make no secret that I am a huge fucking Nintendo nerd. And I do view them as, like, the old craftsmen of video games. But, oh boy, company's not great. And, you know, it's a big company, so none of them are. Yeah. And that leads to its own special problems, like, how do you... It's, unfortunately, like, we're getting to the point now where it's... If they keep trying to force it, it's going to eventually be infeasible to really not engage with anyone who's not doing NFTs because they're just forcing it down our throats. And at a certain point, 
You're just not going to be engaging with the world because everything's just going to be doing them. Unless, thankfully, or hopefully, they all actually crash and burn and we don't have to deal with them anymore. I, I mean, the I NFT... On their way out these but days. The NFT bubble has actually... Let's just say they the are. NFT bubble has actually pretty much thoroughly popped at this point. Um, I, I know, but people are still trying. Like, I know Jim Henson Foundation, whatever... They just announced some NFTs. Oh, but God. He would have hated that. Jim what... Henson would have fucking hated that. Yes, he he would have. Sorry. I'm trying to keep, be not focusing on specific examples. um, And just, like, how, how do we handle it if, like... I mean, if that's what happened with loot boxes, microtransactions, is really problematic shit. Just kind of keeps getting forced down the consumer's throats and how do you engage with hobbies in the world when everything's just unjust i'm sorry maybe i'm the i'm not spouting theory but now i mean we're we're americans and one of the key features of the american lifestyle is consumption and you try to act out your social and political values in the way you consume but not only is that not a really an effective way to change those things but like at some point you become totally surrounded and you have no i mean there is no ethical consumption under capitalism so do you stop well no we want to play games it, and you you have to decide for yourself what you are okay with you have to set your own personal boundaries and and also for being in online communities you also have to recognize that your boundaries are not to be dictated by... Dictated upon? I don't know. Others? Like, di yeah, not dictated upon by others. I mean, there is there is always someone that's going to be holier than thou. Oh, I, I have, like, this fear. Because I'm not on Twitter all the time. I'm trying to be more online. Yeah, I know, ironic. But I'm trying to be more online to grow my brand. Brand. <laughs> um, but... I, I see that there's a lot of problematic people that are being brought up in the TTRPG space. And people are like, if you're still following this person, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like worried that I'm going to miss like one or two of these and I'm following them. And someone's going to just assume and be upset because, you know, I'm following them and it's going to become a kerfluffle if anything ever happens. And I'm going to be like, I don't fuck. I don't. I'm not on Twitter every day. I don't know that this person is terrible. Yes, they're terrible. I'm not gonna follow them anymore. But I don't know. I just like have this anxiety, uh, not about being canceled myself exactly, but just like about being guilty by association. I don't know, someone, something like that. It, it, yeah, I mean, and having somebody come along to like enforce some sort of discipline of social hygiene on you about like who you associate with. Yeah, like. If I were to say, if I were to say to the two of you right now, like, oh yeah, I'm still following Pro Jared. I still love his work. Like, you you might have a moment of like, wait, what the fuck? Why? Did you not hear, or well, do you just no not care? There's no accounting for taste. Yeah, <laughs> but, lack thereof. Um, I mean, trust me, my one friend. I think he finally saw, but he was huge with Jontron for years after all that happened. Yeah. Um. And I don't, I don't know if like he still is or if we just stopped talking about it. And it's, I, I guess like I'm just trying to say it, it is hard and it, it's, you should never force your stuff on others. And like, you, you want to know the stupid reason why I've been thinking about this subject? 
is that on in our personal discord which i should actually remember to include the link to and you should join and talk with us i was talking about getting a game because you know honestly i've been uh just really hankering for a harvest moon like game um and i'm not feeling stardew valley right now i've played a lot of stardew valley and i mentioned one and one of our friends on the discord mentioned some shitty stuff they did uh years ago now and I'm like, uh, so now I can't get the game because they did a shitty company thing a few years ago. And then I sat there being like, God, every single time I like something, it feels like either they do something that's like socially shitty or business shitty. Or, and it's hard to enjoy anything. <laughs> There's also this fear that I'm just gonna, something I'm gonna enjoy is just gonna be shitty. And God, this is not even taking into account that People don't have the time to research the legitimacy of when people are being accused of doing shitty stuff. Like, yeah. I was online the day of, like, the whole Noel Stevenson thing from, like, the, like, from that one Shira interview that, like, went really, it, it, like, the interview, I think, was fine. But then, oh boy, a couple people started, like, misinterpreting some stuff. And there was, like, one thing that was kind of a little, like, slightly uh off as a joke that like and it just like went to you are terrible noel stevenson and if i wasn't online that day and actively paid attention to i would have thought that she had done sorry i think they okay. had done some really terrible shit and it because i don't have the time and energy to research everything and it's i'm sorry i feel like i'm getting extra hopeless in this episode um no it's it's uh, one of those things like you your 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 stance that you're coming from or at least what i'm gathering is completely understandable like you can't you can't hold people accountable for not knowing when something is when not knowing that something someone else did was wrong and like not hearing about it you can't you can't fault someone for not being online enough and like not like yeah, closely and... monitoring everything they're possibly uh, following, like, and even when you find out somebody doesn't know, like, do you, should you feel like you have the responsibility to tell them at all <laughs> oh, that like, hey, this yeah. is fucked up? Because if you to even start down that line of thought, you have to consider like, what is the responsibility in doing this? Like, what's the consequence if this person just never knows why they shouldn't watch JonTron anymore? And like, is that really important enough for me to approach this person, a stranger or a friend, in a way that's like, even in the kindest possible way, you can approach someone and say, hey, this thing you're doing, even if it's something so simple and uh, ineffectual as just what videos you watch online, like what you're, like when you do this, that's bad. Even the nicest way you could approach that, like, is anxiety producing to the for that person to the extent of like, you know, feeling attacked? Yeah. I, I will say you don't have Where, a responsibility like, to do it to everyone. Uh, a a yeah. good measuring stick yeah. for it is, is this a person who I can, like, who I know well enough and feel comfortable enough with that I can critique something that they like without them taking it as a personal attack? If no, you should not be having that, that conversation no. with them. Uh, oh, no, like, I... I mentioned my friend with John Tron. I, like, you know, talked about that with him, and we 
bickered about it, but I also had a co-worker that I was really close with and even played in a few games with eventually. And he really liked JonTron for a while, and I never brought it up with him because it was like... Uh, you just don't have that relationship with you know, that person. We're... Yeah. Alternatively, I have um I have some relationships where uh people in my family, like my brother will talk about <laughs> Joe Rogan, and my uncle will talk about Jordan Peterson. <laughs> oh, and I just don't have it in me to, like, you know, start even as nice as possible, like, telling them, like, this sucks, that sucks. Like, I, you know, one day I might, like, tell, you know, if my, when my uncle next brings it up, I'll say, like, isn't that that dude that, uh, got addicted to barbiturates and ate beef until he almost died? <laughs> something like that. God. But, like, yeah, I mean, you could hypothetically, like, try to get somebody onto something that, like, might lead them down a better path where I could say, like, hey, instead of Joe Rogan, why don't you check out, uh, this streamer who's cool? Why don't you go, go watch Ethan Klein instead? But... I am I am both Even unsurprised then, I, but still with, disappointed with, that your brother listens to Joe Rogan. Well, <laughs> it's none of my business. Like I, uh, I am not worried that it's going to be the civil war and I'll be on the, I'll uh, I'll be holding the trans banner and he'll be holding the Joe Rogan banner and we'll both shoot each other to oh death. Oh my god, that'd be so cool. I I'm, it's. I mean, his brother and, and hasn't I, said anything to me, so we're... I know, I know when I start bringing this up, it sounds like, of course, it comes from a point of privilege, but, like, I just don't think it's that important to course-correct somebody's media consumption. How do you engage, and where do you draw your line, and how about we kind of try to finalize our thoughts? Like, do you... You find out that, like, a company you were going to buy something from did something shitty about five years ago, and you haven't seen... And, like, apparently that was resolved... Uh, how about they said or did something shitty like five years ago and apparently got resolved and you haven't heard of something since? Do you, would you feel comfortable, like, engaging with something that they made, whether you pay for it or not? I mean, it depends I'm on sure. how shitty, I, but I, probably. Okay, fair, yeah. I, I'm coming around to the idea that the concept of your, you know, the vote with your dollar, your consumer vote is about as efficacious as your ballot box vote. Oh, God, let's not Which is to say... <laughs> it, it is an important performance for yourself, um, and, it, like, you know, a, dro a drop in a bucket, but, like, you d there do does need to be a mass of water coming from buckets or whatever, but, like, it... I don't think there's... I don't think Anubis is keeping track of what books you bought from a problematic publisher to weigh against your heart in the afterlife. Yeah. I mean... I don't think... I don't... Th you can... You can... Maybe you can feel as guilty about it as you want, and you can if you do decide to get the thing, knowing that like you bought something that is technically a betrayal of your values. But I don't think it's ever going to come around and bite you in the ass because some sort of cosmic moral authority is going to, or any moral authority is <laughs> going to dock points off of you for it. Yeah, I mean we. Oh no, we haven't talked about it on this podcast. It was on On Air Book Fair where I kind of talked about the different ideas of the afterlife presented in the Good Place, but like. That was, that was something that was brought up in it, is how, like, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. Everything you buy is eventually going to lead to, like, massive carbon emissions. It's going to put money indirectly or directly in the pocket of some, like, horrific, awful CEO that, you know, sends unsolicited dick pics to his employees. It, there's... There's tons of unintended consequences, and you can't hold people responsible for the fact that the world is too complicated for them to actually engage in anymore. And, like, there's there's too much mm -hmm. to it to, re to reasonably keep track of. Uh, there's actually 
uh, a certain degree, there's, there's legal precedent in that even with um, terms of service agreements, where if it is unreasonable to assume that a person would be able to read through it and understand it and agree to it in a timely fashion, then it is not binding because it is an unrealistic expectation to hold upon an average person. I ain't do I ain't reading all that. Um, I can't do all of the research into the histories and I'm not doing a background check on every YouTuber I follow to make sure they're like a good person. Yeah. I kind of do. I mean, you can I mean, that's why that's why it has to come down to just being vibes based. Yeah, yeah. god, I'm vibes based, but I I get bad vibes very easily and I swear my track record is so eerily good with when I'm like, ooh, they said something that feels bad, and then, oh, look, I'm on their website, and they look, they're uh, antagonizing people for using they, them as a singular pronoun, and I don't know how this happened to me twice, that, give me that meme about <laughs> yeah, the... Yeah, doing, cloaking transphobia and being a fucking grammar nerd, the lamest thing to possibly do. Yeah, but, and um, being a bad uh, grammar uh, nerd, Jake, because we... singular they, them predates you. <laughs> Yep. Oh, but they like. Damn. Really? Yeah. When when did you start? Uh, around the time we stopped using thou. Yeah. It it predates well, yeah, it predates th not being its own letter. I've got to be honest. When you said uh, you, I thought you meant us as people. Uh, my brain is starting to crash a little bit. I've had a long day with uh, children very misbehaving today. Um. Yeah. Here's our final point. Let uh, my final point is, like, don't get too anxious if the things you're consuming aren't very ethical, and nor should you uh, attempt to uh, police people's consumption <laughs> for your own uh, social moral superiority. Because people don't fucking know. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows nothing. Yeah, I'm, I am 98% yeah. certain that there's something I enjoy right now that if, that if I were to find out someone worked on it, be like oh god damn it like there's probably some movie from my childhood that harvey weinstein or not harvey weinstein <laughs> harvey weinstein yeah harvey weinstein was yeah. involved in in some way and it's like oh god damn it no this was a pro this is a recent problem with me with the paddington bears movies because that was through harvey weinstein's production company but they they but since they recently like they took that off or it it got bought out by warner brothers which i'm sure is <laughs> just as evil mm -hmm. uh and, you know, also, likewise, if you find out a creator, if there's something you love that a creator or the company behind it does something that you just can't stand behind and you can't engage with it anymore, you shouldn't feel bad about not... Sorry. Uh, my dad's talking to Alexa in the other room. You, you uh, should never blah, feel blah, bad blah. for having to set if, your if, own personal ethical boundaries on the media you consume. Uh... To a certain degree, yes, I guess. Exactly. Uh, I think if your boundary is they admit gay people exist, then you should feel bad about that. But, uh... <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, oh god. And, like, that's the thing. We are lefties, so our ethical boundaries are all so skewered for the from the mainstream. I can't believe they would make Buzz Lightyear so debase himself by associating with a queer. <laughs> oh, but like it, God. our beautiful cultural touchstone, Buzz Lightyear. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they they oh, recast Tim Allen. That's bad enough. Um, but yeah, you know, and it, with that, my hope for so long as you don't. I, I guess that's I guess that's the thing. The 
whether or not I agree with your stance on something, um, you can set whatever personal ethical boundaries you want on the media you consume for yourself. It's when you try and instill those boundaries upon other people that we start to have problems. Yes, you can protest things. Yes, you can disagree with things, but you... No, actually, please do. Please protest and yeah. please stand up for that stuff. Like, I am not saying not to. God, I don't want anyone to think that, like, protesting and standing up for it and boycott and do everything like that. Um, And, yeah, try to encourage other people to do it with you, but the world is bigger and more complicated and it keeps getting that way every day. Yeah. My and my brother wants to buy the new Harry Potter video game. He keeps getting really excited about it. He'll text me about it. And I, every time, like we've had the conversation of, you know, whether I consider it to be unethical to purchase and engage with it. For me, I do, but he doesn't. And I, I respect his viewpoint on that. He's... He is not particularly you online, not he's not really keeper. adding to the conversation, and... I don't know. I'm not going to judge him for wanting problems, to engage with something so. that he and his kids will both theoretically enjoy. Um, whether I agree with it for my personal engagement or not. Whatever. Um, yeah, but... I think it's about time. Um, oh, one thing I do want to say. Uh, a, a good a right. good guideline that I have for whether or not I can do this is if I can separate the things about an author that I find, or a creator that I find morally reprehensible, if I can separate those things from my engagement with that piece of media, I am more likely to continue engaging with that piece of media. Like... There's That's also true. There's so yeah. much shitty racist stuff in the history of the world of D&D and the lore of D&D. But you can also just say I don't give a shit about the lore. You can you can create your own world. You can create a world where like goblins aren't you know generally racist caricatures. You can you can do those things. You can put in that work to create a different world of it for yourself. You can engage with it in that way. And that's fine. That's a totally viable way of engaging with that media. Even though that media as or, written has shitty connections. Or you can be like me and with some stuff like that, everything just becomes bitch eating crackers. And all of a sudden, even though in theory you would like that, all those rules just suddenly feel so bad. Everything just feels like that bitch is eating crackers and we need to tear her down. Uh, I hope that everyone knows what uh, bitch eating crackers means. Hey, look it up. You can learn a new meme today. <laughs> um, so you can find all of our stuff on mimicsmarket.com, including the on-air book fair uh, hosted by Jay, the other Jay, not me. I don't read nerd books. Um, Miles and their friend uh, Daniel. Yeah. There is the nothing. There is nothing nerdy about Wizard of Earthsea. No, not a thing. Yep. Uh, and who drew our beautiful cover art, Miles? Uh, that is friend of the podcast Zyka Nelster on Twitter and Instagram. They're fantastic. Uh, really solid person. Uh, you might run into them on the Discord too, potentially. 
Yep. <laughs> really solid person, made out of uh, flesh and bone. Yeah, and you know, mostly matter bees. with mass. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But it's been a pleasure to podcast with you guys. If you enjoyed us, uh, please give us a good review on iTunes or wherever you found this. And we really appreciate it. Uh, someone say goodbye. 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 So much of this episode, I was trying to think of a way to be like, yeah, and you know, sometimes a podcast creator that you really like uh, bullies one of the other podcast creators in it for like 10 minutes about them liking a specific comic book character or something.